Hello, welcome to MLEX, and welcome to the latest in our ongoing series of podcasts. I'm David Plott, MLEX's Managing Editor for Asia. We're coming to you today from our bureau here in Hong Kong. A couple of developments here in the past week have put Hong Kong firmly on the map in the fast-moving world of financial technology. First, there was a big get-together of financial innovators from all over the world. Hong Kong FinTech Week this year attracted more than 10 times as many people as it did in 2016, a clear sign of the growing momentum in this rapidly developing sector. And second came perhaps the crowning moment of FinTech Week here in Hong Kong, an agreement between Hong Kong and Singapore, two of the region's preeminent finance hubs, to collaborate on developing the fintech industry. All this is part of a growing global buzz around innovation in the finance sector. And here with me now to talk about it is MLEX correspondent Tsering Namgal. Welcome to this podcast, Tsering. Thank you, David. Tsering, technological innovation has proved to be highly disruptive in sectors such as the media, taxis, and retail in recent years. And now it's turning heads in the finance sector. What exactly is fintech and why is it important? Fintech is a very broad area. Uh, It can include everything from mobile payments in countries such as Kenya to crowdfunding in China to the use of distributed ledger, also known as blockchain, by stock exchanges such as Nasdaq. The root of the innovation in the sector probably goes back to the financial crisis we had in 2007 and 2008, 10 years ago, And the banking sector, we all know, has had a very bad PR since the financial crisis. And this has led to a general erosion of trust for both the big banks and the regulators. And uh, the decline in trust for what was once considered as a trusted authorities has given an impetus for all sorts of startups to experiment with technology that aim to disrupt what we know of as traditional banking. But there's also a willingness amongst the public, at least to start thinking of new ways of doing things. 50 of the world's top banks destroyed $850 billion in profit due to bad behavior since the global financial crisis. So activities in the financial sector, especially in the fintech, is largely driven by companies in areas such as compliance, the technology companies that are offering solutions to the banks, how to better comply with all sorts of regulations that are being rolled out by the authorities in the US and the EU. As a result, the disruption, as you asked earlier, in the fintech sector is likely to be somewhat different from the disruption that we have seen in the other industries, such as media or in the taxi business. And what we're probably going to see in this industry is more of a collaboration between the banks and the startups. And it's quite unlikely that the industry is going to be Uberized Uh, as we say. And at the heart of a lot of fintech is the recording of transactions through something known as blockchain. Uh, A lot's been written about this. What is blockchain and how does it work? Blockchain is a technology uh, that underpins uh, Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency, and it is basically a network of computers that is trustless. In other words, it allows parties that do not trust each other to do business and transact with each other without a trusted third party or a middleman. To use a very fashionable term, it is decentralized in nature, as opposed to most systems that are centralized, which means it's controlled or supervised by a higher uh, third party 
a trusted authority. Because of this reason, it is generally heralded as a remarkable breakthrough in the history of technology and computers. It is also billed by some as uh, quite robust because it is seen as lacking a so-called a single point of failure. The Economist magazine very rightly calls this a trust machine. But the technology is still evolving and hence more suited to some areas such as trade finance than others such as uh, security trading which requires more powerful computing to process higher and faster frequency transactions. Now one of the most startling fintech developments is the creation of virtual currencies. Regulators seem to be taking very different approaches to these currencies. Japan, on the one hand, has recognized them as a legitimate means of exchange. China, on the other hand, has taken a harder line. What are the challenges facing regulators on this front? So far, the experience of state authorities trying to actually control or gain hold of cryptocurrencies has not been very good, if not disastrous. For instance, China, as we know, has uh, practically shut down the Bitcoin exchanges because they're worried about capital outflows. And there are also other countries which have, uh, you know, banned or prohibited the use of the currency, such as Ireland or Vietnam, and most recently even Indonesia. And creating a formal regulatory framework for Bitcoin is nothing if not impossible because of its decentralized nature, as I said earlier. But however, one thing that could do is they could legalize and create exchanges and then create a licensing system as they have done in Japan with quite a degree of success. And of course, they were inspired by a major scandal they witnessed there involving a cryptocurrency company called Mt. Gox. And in jurisdictions such as Singapore, they are currently thinking of creating anti-money laundering guidelines governing uh, specifically uh, for, uh, to Bitcoin as well as a new form of fundraising called ICOs that we'll discuss later. And in terms of jurisdictions trying to control the uh, Bitcoin, we also had the experience of New York State, which once had a thriving Bitcoin industry, and they tried to create this uh, licensing regime called BitLicense in 2014 that required the companies to maintain capital and even record of transactions but it didn't, you know, succeed. Most of the Bitcoin exchanges uh, have since uh, moved elsewhere. Now, a lot of investors, even retail investors, seem enthralled by the opportunities virtual currencies offer as investment vehicles. Bitcoin, for, for instance, has gone through the roof. It's now worth six times as much as it was at the start of the year. The latest cra craze seems to be initial coin offerings, which are uh, rather like initial public offerings or IPOs. But instead of buying shares, investors put their money into digital tokens. Tell us what's going on in this new investment market. As you know, the price of Bitcoin has gone up uh, dramatically over the past couple of years. And the ICOs are a new form of fundraising that are used primarily by the blockchain or the distributed ledger companies. And they are basically crowdfunding mechanism uh, that they use to finance their ideas, their startups, you know. And it's very fast. They can do it, you know, within weeks. And uh, so far it has been a tremendous success, uh, raising as much as 3 billion US dollars for the startups just this year 
alone. So all the companies need to do is they need to write down their idea and present it in a so-called a white paper. But these white papers are, you know, not very transparent and not easily accessible to most investors. They're opaque and they're extremely technical. And even the experts complain that they do not know what's going on, including the lawyers themselves. Tokens are generally divided into utility tokens and then there are different types of tokens some of which inevitably act like securities, and in some cases, Ponzi schemes that have nothing to do with blockchain. The latter is what the regulators are concerned about, and these are extremely risky investments, which explains why the jurisdictions such as China, and even to some extent South Korea, has banned the ICOs. But there is a huge debate about you know how to regulate ICOs, and whether they should be regulated within the existing securities framework or if there is a need for a different form of a new way of regulating this what looks like an extremely novel and innovative idea. Well, touching on that point, Saring, let's talk about how specific regulators are reacting to developments in the fintech sector. Regulators in Hong Kong and Singapore seem to be out in front compared with their counterparts elsewhere. What are they doing? Interestingly, like all regulations, at this moment, the regulators are still at a learning stage and they are far behind the curve when it comes to, you know, coming out with new regulatory frameworks to govern these extremely innovative and new ideas. Like all regulations, regulators tend to copy and learn from each other and the regulatory sandbox, which has been created in many jurisdictions, is one good example. It was first created by the UK's uh, a financial conduct authority. But Sandbox, after all, was a sandbox for regulators, a good starting point for them to learn about the technology and decide how best to come out with new regulations that are perhaps more suited and more tailored uh, to these new companies. Right now, uh, interestingly, the talk of collaboration has replaced uh, the, a lot of the discussion about competition and rivalry that was that has dominated the discussion over the past few years. For example, Hong Kong and Singapore collaboration in terms of blockchain last week is a very good example of actually how the financial regulators can come to create the necessary regulatory infrastructure for these very cross-border and international technologies to prosper and increase in scale and size. Do you see Hong Kong and Singapore as providing a model for other jurisdictions when it comes to handling developments in the fintech sector? Yes, Hong Kong and Singapore is clearly leading the world in terms of fintech innovation. You know, it would not be too much of an exaggeration to say that it is becoming to fintech what the Silicon Valley was for the internet. And they also happen to be based in Asia where much of this innovation is taking place. And they also tend to have the, a very trusted and reliable legal framework that is known for extremely friendly, uh, you know, laissez-faire approach to commerce in general. So one of the reasons that because of China is the capital of fintech and it is home to some of the world's biggest lending platforms and mobile payment companies, some of which, which uh, have more customers than the China's biggest banks. And it so happened that the Western world is currently still, you know, struggling to cope with all sorts of post 
financial crisis regulations that have been rolled out by the regulators there. And, uh, and the developing world is actually where all the action is taking place and they're leapfrogging from not actually having the brick and mortar bank branches to actually having banks that run on mobile phones and from cash-based system to mobile payment systems. So it represents really a lot of opportunities and test bed for the fintech startups. And so Hong Kong and Singapore are clearly leading the way in terms of fintech regulation, but also will be seen as a good model in terms of how the different jurisdictions actually can work with each other in areas such as blockchain and trade finance. Actually, it requires the jurisdictions to work together for these new innovations to actually be implemented because they are essentially cross-border. They need jurisdictions to work with each other. And uh, as I said earlier, uh, the, the Hong Kong and Singapore have a very trusted uh, regulatory framework and they also happen to be extremely robust and dynamic financial hubs. Fintech is obviously a fast-moving industry and regulators are scrambling to keep up. What should we be looking for in the future in terms of where fintech is going? There's a great deal of regulatory uncertainty in terms of fintech, as we all know. And, uh, you know, there is the issue of data privacy rules being rolled out and the fintech companies, you know, they're still, you know, quite don't know how that these regulations might impact them. And then you have seen the the wrath the ICOs faced in China, and then the Bitcoin exchanges that they had to go into, you know, a lot of uh, trouble. So, and we must understand that it's not part of the job of the regulator to promote the startups, and their job is to actually to protect consumers and to maintain the status quo. And I think what the regulators here in the banking sector is trying to do is actually trying to manage the disruption and the, the systemic risks that the fintech startup could potentially bring to the banking sector. So that is where the risk management aspect of the regulator, that's where they come in. So uh, speaking of risk management, um, there's one thing I would be looking for is the entry money laundering rules that are being designed in uh, Singapore for the initial coin offerings or ICOs. Regulators, they're apparently looking at how best to regulate uh, the ICOs for any breach of anti uh, money laundering and terrorist financing rules and then there are rules for you know the bitcoin in jurisdictions such as china and how they might eventually view the bitcoin because remember they actually haven't officially banned it and then the regulators themselves they're creating their own state-backed digital currencies which is the central bank backed digital currencies you know they are trying to roll out and we would like to know you know what is the you know the progress on that and how they might go about doing it. So these are some of the issues uh, that I'm will be looking in this very exciting area, David. Well, there's certainly a lot in the mix, Saring. Um, a fast emerging new industry, evolving regulation, and even the prospect of central banks getting in on the act with their own fintech creations and novel currencies. Like any new industry, there will be plenty of risks and rewards as the fintech sector grows and matures. Whatever direction that development takes, we're in for an interesting journey. And Saring, I know you'll be right there as our guide. Uh, thanks very much for explaining uh, the key issues in this fast-moving field. We'll be looking forward to more of your coverage. Thank you, David. 
If you'd like to read Sering's reporting on fintech cryptocurrencies, blockchain, and all things cutting edge in the finance sector, you can find it on our website. Head to mlexmarketinsight.com. Click on Insight Center, then click on Editor's Picks. I'm David Plott. Thanks very much for joining us. Join us again soon for another in MLEX's series of podcasts. Mm-hmm.